it's really about creating a space for next generation sports fans to compete, improve their fandom, uh, and socialize as they do. We are a mobile first free to play game. And so we're working closely with the leagues to bring in authentic digital gear and team marks uh, to really kind of recreate basketball for that next generation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports. I'm Tom Richardson. Normally, I do the show with my co-host, Joe Fabrito, but he's actually traveling today, so I'll be flying solo. And I'm sorry he's missing this show, because we're going to be getting into a really fascinating topic, the metaverse and the whole idea and the potential of virtual worlds. Uh, while we've seen, gotten some glimpses into this idea of the metaverse through environments like uh, Fortnite and such, we really haven't seen it applied to the sports business proper. And that's something we're going to get into today as we speak to our guest. Hey, Tom. Uh, excited to be chatting with you today. And, and thanks for having me on. Oh, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. There's so much I want to talk about with you, Tony. Tony and I did a prep um, earlier in the week. And we realized after about 15 minutes, we, we probably should have pressed record for, for that conversation because we got so deep into it so fast. But let me just introduce Tony more properly. Um, really interesting background. He was a collegiate golfer at Harvard, <clears throat> worked briefly as an equi in equity research, had a stint at the PGA Tour. So he got into the sports business, worked in a startup in the venue space called Venue Ties, which some of you know on this podcast because they're well-known guys around uh, the world of, uh, in the Northeast especially. And uh, he has now been at Green Park, I think, what, Tony, for over a year now, a year and a half already? Yeah, since last January. Yeah, which, which is crazy to think about. Anyway, um, so Tony, let's, uh, we're going to, I want to hear about the, or, the origin story of Green Park Sports, and then we'll get into kind of the bigger topic around Green Park Sports, the world, the ideas of the, the metaverse and where you guys want to go with this, or are going with this. But let's start with uh, your origin story, just a, a couple minutes on your journey and how you got here. Yeah, certainly. Um, I'll start at the beginning. So I, I grew up in Massachusetts off Cape Cod, an island called Martha's Vineyard. Um, got into sports very early, I think. Uh, ended up focusing on golf probably around sixth, seventh grade, and that kind of became my thing. Uh, and was a fortunate fortunate enough to take that through high school to go play golf at Harvard, uh, where I spent four years on the team there. Um, so an incredible experience, I think for me, I always use sport as an opportunity to really just socialize um, and then at the same time be able to kind of take a break um, and get away with golf being something that you can do on your own as well. So um, coming out of school, I think I saw the dollar signs, decided to go check out equity research and, and see how I like that life, um, kind of having worked hard, wanted to give myself the opportunity. And, and I think I learned a lot, I think in just a year and a half um, that I was there, but pretty quickly realized that I wanted to get back around something that I was a little bit more passionate and familiar with. Uh, had a few conversations with mentors who, who I trust um, and, and certainly value their opinions and kind of networked off of my junior golf career, I guess, uh, to get down to the PGA Tour in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. I was actually looking at an opportunity in New York City as well. So uh, Florida versus New York City, two very different uh, options for a 24-year-old, uh, but went down there and, and spent almost five years with the PGA Tour, working in a corporate partnerships role uh, with the team down there, uh, and then developing into a partnership strategy role. Uh, it was around year four, I decided to apply to business school um, to actually take me to New York. Uh, so I got into Columbia Business School, uh, transitioned out started doing some work for Venue Ties, as you mentioned. Um, I had actually worked with their chief revenue officer, Craig Duncan, uh, previously when he was at MasterCard and some of the things I was managing at the PGA Tour um, and was able to work with them a little bit on their partnerships business, learn a little bit as it relates to being in sports tech, startups, uh, sports, uh, obviously, having said sports tech. And I think for me, that created an opportunity to know what being in a, a newer company could look like and kind of the type of role that I was looking for. So as I was going through business school, I was lucky enough to be pointed towards Green Park Sports by a former uh, colleague of mine, a guy named Mike Downey, who was uh, an evangelist, tech evangelist for Microsoft. I had worked with him on a cloud project at the PGA Tour and 
uh, when I had reached out with him about actually a, a totally different startup idea that I was working on in the computer vision space, he pointed me towards the team at Green Park Sports. And uh, they picked up the phone three months later in January and asked me if I was ready. I was finishing up at Columbia Business School, but still said yes. Um, went on board. And, and I think with the, the changes to what was the end of business school and the pandemic, I was just super fortunate to really be accelerating uh, when Green Park needed to get into those partnership efforts. Uh, and off we went. Tony, I know one of the investors, or I guess the primary investor for the seed round was, and by the way, you guys raised 8.5 million, I believe it was in 2019 as your seed round led by Signal Fire. And the leader of Signal Fire had a great quote, which I want to read back to you to, to kind of start the conversation about what Green Park is and where it's going. Green Park Sports is a perfect combination of market opportunity, industry experience, and tectonic shifts in consumer behavior. I thought that was a great summary because uh, again, as we discussed previously, and you can explain this, you kind of brought together a dream team you have, there, there's, it's a moment in time from a technology standpoint, and everyone in the sports business is dealing with these existential challenges in terms of fan engagement. So it feels like the, the time is, was ripe for something this when, the, when this all developed a couple of years ago. So why don't you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, my first thought is it's, it's a big statement, I think for as big as what we are trying to accomplish, I'm always wary of, of big statements, but, um, the Signal Fire team, I think we were thrilled to come across them. I was not on, at Green Park at the time, but I've since worked very closely with their team. And, and that statement is spot on, I think, for what our team saw even, even before we went into a time where there were no attendees at sporting events. And uh, we just saw com consumer behavior shifting. And I think to a certain extent, sports fans or potential next generation sports fans being left behind in terms of carrying that that same experience with them in the mediums that they were starting to spend a lot of their time. Um, you know, we talk a lot about Fortnite and Roblox and, and where that under 30, under 20 audience is spending that time. And I think when we go back to kind of our origin and the story that our co-founders told um, to kind of get us going and kind of their belief, it was really that what we were wanted to build didn't exist. And with being doers, I think, and who Chad, Nick, and Ken are, instead of looking at that as a monumental thing to, to achieve, they looked at it as something exciting to go after. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in, in a sense, just a big, a big bet that they were making on building something that was pent up demand. You, you quickly referenced the, manage, the founders. Why don't you just, uh, just for everybody's edification, quickly describe uh, the stream team. Yeah, well, uh, also how they came together, super interesting. So uh, Chad Hurley's co-founder of YouTube, Nick Swinmurn, the co-founder of Zappos, and Ken Martin, who led an agency, Blitz Agency. Um, he had finished his earnout after selling the agency. Uh, Chad and Nick were, are both minority owners of the Golden State Warriors. And Ken actually, uh, the Zappos logo, the same Zappos logo that exists today, uh, Ken did in his dorm room 20 years ago, he says, in his apartment in Sunnydale. Um, and so with that, Nick and Ken had always been in conversations, kind of looking at that next thing. I feel like Nick always has five different companies that he's starting up or doing. He's, he's a doer for sure. Um, and Chad was coming out of, of another company that he was working with. And you know, for them, they again looked at this as, as passion meets opportunity. And so the three of them were the, were the ones to go in that first big capital raise and, and start to build a pretty, pretty incredible team around them and with some of my colleagues. Okay, so let's start with the elevator pitch. If you were asked if we were at an event, at an NYBC sports event in New York City and someone came up to you and I introduced them to you and said, this is Tony from Green Park Sports. Hell, hey, Tony, nice to meet you. What's Green Park Sports? <laughs> so I bounce between these. Sometimes when I'm asked what I do, I just say I work in mobile gaming and I kind of okay, move well, on. It's the easy way out, Tony. See if they ask more questions. Um, but the way that I would describe it, because I, fortunately, I get more time than an elevator, uh, especially these days to make my pitch. But it, it's really about creating a space for next generation sports fans to compete, improve their fandom uh, and socialize as they do it. Um, we are a mobile first free to play game. And so we're working closely with the leagues to bring in authentic 
digital gear and team marks uh, to really kind of recreate basketball for that next generation of sports fans. Okay. And so, of course, other sports as well, but using one sport as an example. Right. I know in one of the descriptors in some of the material you shared with me, uh, Green Park was called the quote, metaverse for global sports. So let's, again, for the edification of the listeners who may not be familiar with the notion of the metaverse, and I'll just quickly reference Ready Player One, which I think you have to do when you mention the word metaverse, but this idea of an always on virtual environment, which you can pop in and out of. But just quickly describe that as you, um, as you consider it for Green Park. Yeah, another big statement, even just using the <laughs> word metaverse, but, right. but we've used it. Um, hey, it's your word. Totally. I think as we consider the metaverse, it's a place where you are going to spend time um, and where you can socialize that is a virtual land. I mean, it's character driven. So this is where Tom or Tony can basically go and spend time around their friends, meet new people, um, be able to, to do a variety of things that I would even say go beyond what you'll see with like our initial gameplay or what we bring. Uh, Fortnite has been referred to as being the metaverse and, and they have hundreds of millions of people playing the game today. Um, but I think with people spending so much time in these digital environments where they have characters that really kind of represent them, it's also making sure that you're enabling all of the things that they want to do in that environment. And so for us with sports, I think one of the things that I've seen in, in a lot of different games is sports brands going into games with their skins uh, as kind of a marketing tactic would it be a part of it. For us, fandom is the core of Green Park. And so as it relates to the activities that you're playing within Green Park, we are building things that help you to prove that you are the biggest fan. And so for us being that sports metaverse, it is really kind of ingrained in the activities that you're doing as a fan that prove your fandom, whether it's predicting about what's gonna happen in the game, proving your knowledge of past games, competing in fun and entertaining, what we refer to as mini games, or following a game within the park alongside your friends and just chatting with each other. We think of Green Park as where you go to be a fan. Okay. Um, another quote that I wanna share to help dig deeper into this is um, one that I thought, I, I think applies to this point I brought up before about the changing nature of fandom. And the quote was that it was created, GPS was created, I'm using the, the acronym GPS, I don't know if you guys do. Uh, GPS <laughs> was created to reimagine the role of today's digitally native fan as an active participant in the sports they love. So one of the things you guys talk about in your promotional material, including the video sharing, I guess that maybe that was an investor video or something like that, but um, was the changing nature of fandom, which we have talked about separately beyond even Green Park. It's, it's a real issue, a serious issue in the business right now as it relates to potential most, most um, urgently Gen Z. We're just seeing, uh, and, and this actually, it's a, it's a timely reference right now because there was another story today that just hit Sportico. And if you saw it, about the awful numbers uh, in terms of television ratings for 18 to 34. It, they're, they're just, it, it just really on, on a steep decline right now. And once again, making the point that the sports industry has this big problem on its hands, which is how do you effectively engage? And the notion of engagement for my generation and perhaps even your generation, Tony, are a little bit older than you was engagement was primarily manifested through either attending the games in person, you know, buying a ticket and going to an arena or stadium or watching the game on television in, on, on some sort of pay television uh, platform. And that was, those were the two pillars of the entire, I think, engagement economy, let's call it. That has obviously changed drastically because of the atomization of media, the, the influence of third-party platforms, big tech, social media, et cetera. And you guys are trying to deal with all that as you pull from those different areas like best practices, I, I guess you could call it, to create this alternative environment for engagement, right? That's kind of the essence of this idea. Um, also picking up on the mega trend of mobile gaming, which 
which is a huge category. And that's, one, I guess, one reason why in your quick elevator pitch, maybe you could just say you're mobile gaming because that's easy to get. But to talk about that motivation when the management team, and I know you weren't there right at the beginning, but I'm sure you've been in, in, the, in the pitches with partners and investor pitches or discussions, this idea of how you're addressing that problem of the atomized media world and the fact that fandom is not expressed in traditional forms like it used to be. Yeah, so one thing that you said that I, I was hanging on um, was I think you used the word problem or difficulties uh, with regards to a lot of the trends. And I just think opportunity for us, um, you know, it's and for everyone really, if they're thinking about it the right way. I think when you see the world changing, you have to be able to look at how you can not fix necessarily, but how can you present those opportunities that can give people what they what they do want or what they do like. And I think there's a lot that the sports world and a lot of the key stakeholders do right as they make kind of this transition to how that next generation wants to consume. But I think for us, the biggest part of it and kind of the, the North Star for us is making you actually a part of what you are following or a part of what you are playing. And so the way we think about fandom is we wanna make sure that fans can actually be the ones to slay the dragon as Ken, our CEO says, right? When, you, when they're going and playing a game, uh, and I'll even just use League of Legends, one of our partners, uh, if you go and play League of Legends and you're spending your time playing League of Legends, you're actually the one who's winning. And so we wanted to do that for fans. We wanted to make sure that they were at the center of the action and they were the ones who were competing. They were the ones who were winning. So it's not just about sitting on your couch and rooting for your favorite team, but actually having, a, having some skin in the game, having a part of that outcome. Um, we also, I think a, a very different thing that we're doing from when you look at something like betting is for us that that outcome is not binary in terms of did I win or did I not win. And it's also, from our point of view, a, a very healthy way to engage with that product um, where at some point people may want to bet on sports or not. But for us, it's being able to do it every, every hour or every minute that you want to jump in and you want to be a part of your favorite team, you can engage and you can help your team to win, or you can help your, your subset of fans to actually win and be a part of that. When you mentioned kind of looking at the industry and having a lot of proof points uh, to a certain extent of like, what's working, what isn't working. We'll go back to mobile games and mobile first is kind of where we're starting uh, on this journey for us. And I think we certainly see Green Park being multi-platform at, at some point at the heels of success. But the reason why we started mobile was, A, it's the most accessible. It's an increasing amount of time that's being spent on phones. Um, but at the same time, that opportunity for us to say, hey, people, people don't spend hours when they're looking into like sports scores. It's a check-in, check-out mentality, similar with social media. And so if we're mobile first, we can do the same thing where people are coming into the game they're spending five, 10, 15 minutes that they're actually playing this game with our early access users right now. They're spending somewhere between 15 and 20 minutes in their sessions, which is actually more than we thought that they would. Um, but in coming in and being able to have a little bit of that, like, okay, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the subway or um, I just finished lunch, but I have another 10 minutes to kill before I have to get back to work, creating those pockets where you can jump in and you can be a fan and you can earn. And then you can come back later and you can kind of see what that see what that got you within Green Park. I think to create something that's always on uh, and also to create something where it's, it's progressing around you as well. So if I, as a fan, am, am competing and I've, I've gone in over uh, a number of days and I'm sure we'll get into the gameplay a little bit, um, but I've kind of started to prove my fandom, I'm also gonna get notified when, when Tom passes me because he's actually done more or competed better or done better on his predictions um, or in some of our mini games. And so it's another reason to say, oh no, like what, am, you know, I'm, I'm losing my, I'm not helping my team to win. As a Celtics fan, I'm not helping the Celtics to actually beat the Lakers today. And I need to jump in there to help my team. So it goes back to really creating agency, which is what we see in the next generation of, of consumers uh, and, and of fans in, in our sense. That's great. We should be clear with everybody listening that the early access release is available today in the App Store. So check it, check it out. iOS and, and Android. Yeah. So in the Google Play Store and in the Apple uh, uh, App Store, uh, check it out. And 
Tony, just describe the uh, the UX for someone, let's say, listening to this, downloading the app. Like, what can they expect to see and experience? Yeah, so to go back on a uh, free-to-play mobile game, uh, and it's labeled Green Park Sports. And so essentially, when we're working with the leagues, they are a, a license that sits within Green Park Sports. So the idea is Green Park Sports is where you go to be a fan. But once you're in Green Park Sports, you can go to our LCS area, which is League of Legends North America. You can go into the NBA area of the game. When we launch La Liga later this year, you can go into the La Liga area. And we're talking to a number of other leagues as well. Um, but that goes back to the, the mentality of that next generation that needs to be able to jump across in different sports and, and represent their fandom without feeling like they're being blocked out or they have to go into separate apps to be a part of that experience, something that we felt was really important. So when you download and jump into the game, right off the bat, what we're saying to you is like, pick your team, pick your league, pick your team. So within LCS, I'm a Cloud9 fan. And everything I do within the LCS area of Green Park is helping the Cloud9 fans and proving me to be the best Cloud9 fan that I can be. And, and my group of friends or, or those subgroups of fans within the game that I may be joining with some of the functionality we're adding later this year, um, you're competing with each other, you're competing against opponents, uh, and then using the NBA as an example of what I might be doing in, in that part of the competition, um, it's not the gameplay right now, which is what we call more of a brawl format. It's kind of every fan for themselves. Uh, but what it will typically look like is that when two teams are playing, so let's say that the Raptors are, are playing the Knicks on Saturday night at 7 p.m., Raptors fans will start competing against Knicks fans Thursday, Friday, and leading into the game Saturday. So you can go in and you can rally and you can start playing our mini games, uh, which right now are either our Greeny Rush game, which is an obstacle course game, multiplayer game where you're racing against other fans, answering some questions about prior night's games. You can go into our dance battle game where it's a rhythm game, similar to what you might have seen with Guitar Hero. Um, but you're earning points for your team in those fashion and also earning points through making predictions. So when the Raptors Knicks game is actually on Saturday night at 7 p.m., that's kind of the final tally of the Raptors fans versus the Knicks fans. And so as the season progresses, just as your team will have a record, the fan teams also have a record. Um, so there's absolutely an opportunity for even if, even if a team doesn't make it to the finals or doesn't win the championship, that their fans could still be the most passionate pound for pound. And that's ultimately that competition that we're creating. Um, one more thing that I, I skipped past, but it's really important to go back to is our super fan or our greenie. Um, so you, when you're asked to join in the very beginning, uh, and let's say that you said, I am a Raptors fan, we let you choose your initial gear set. So you get a jersey for your character, you get a hat for your character, and that's your base gear set. And then as you're playing in the game, your character can earn more and more items as a part of that experience. And so you might earn a second or a third jersey, you'll earn a lot of different kind of generic, fun, um, lighthearted humor type items or emotes within the game. Uh, but every fan is really trying to go from ordinary to extraordinary, and that goes across the entire Green Park ecosystem. So our game economy is built on those cosmetic items that you're earning and you're showing off so that the next time I jump into the social area of the game, which we call watch party, I may see 20 other fans, but all have that glow in the dark uh, Celtics lucky charm hat that we have that represents you being one of the biggest Celtics fans. And nobody else will have it because they didn't prove their fandom in the same way that I did. Yeah, and I guess what's cool for you guys is that you know that is obviously a well-proven content commerce approach in, in, the, in the world that many young people are used to from playing things like Fortnite and such. Yeah, it, it, it goes back to those early conversations in, in our team and doing the exploration, which was this is, this is an attention economy and we need to monetize it as such. And there are mobile gaming mechanics out there that if you think about a world that would be perfect for cosplay, like it's sports. There's plenty of people that actually go to the games and they paint their face like a basketball or you have Sweater Mom with the Golden State Warriors who's dancing in the stands. That may not be you or me, but within a digital world and when you think about kind of carrying your fandom with you, which is really how we view your character of that proven fandom, Twitter no longer becomes kind of yelling at the internet during sports games, but you actually have that proven fandom with you that can say, no, 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 I am a big Warriors fan. This is my character that represents that. 
And so our hope is that you can also take that fandom or take that, that avatar with you wherever you go. Um, that's still a little bit further in the roadmap, but definitely how about it. Yeah, really shrewd, really shrewd. Um, let, let's pivot over to, or, or not pivot over to, but go back to point you, a reference you made a few minutes ago about some of your partnerships um, and your activities and your business development job. It seems as though your partnerships with the key sports leagues is essential to uh, scaling this uh, as large as you, uh, I, I would assume, want it to go. Tell us about what you can about the nature of those deals and the reception you're getting from the leagues that you're in business with now or maybe coming up soon. Yeah, I would say at this point, the reception is, is incredible. Um, we have conversations going with almost every major sports league and, and growth leagues. I think we, we really see opportunity in unique ways as we think about who we might want to partner with. Uh, it wasn't necessarily always the case. I think early on, uh, people are excited to meet our team and learn about what we're up to, but there's a lot about what we're doing that there's reasons to maybe be wary of or, or to think twice in the early days because a lot of what we're doing is, is unique. Um, we're, we're putting multiple brands in, into one app. Uh, we have kind of different areas of the park, and those are the areas where those league relationships really kind of come to life. So if you think about the three relationships I mentioned earlier that have been announced with La Liga, the NBA, and LCS, um, the idea is that essentially you are in Central Green Park and that's where you can walk around and you see the entrance into the NBA area. And then you go into the NBA area and that's where your NBA fandom is, is more represented. Um, sure, if I'm an NBA fan and an LCS fan and, um, and a La Liga fan, I can wear my Real Madrid jersey and my Celtics hat and my 100 Thieves shoes, cross-sport fandom, so important. Um, but that goes back again to something that I think with leagues early on, in thinking about kind of IP protections, that is something that in thinking about what this next generation wants, in thinking about what they can do as a league and maybe what a third party can do, it's really finding the right partner where you can get comfortable about their strategy and, and how we are going to go to market in a way that is additive to what the leagues are trying to do uh, while also trying to break new ground. Um, so I think every decision that we're making, we're in close conversations with our league partners and 99.9% .9 of the time, they're just excited to learn more and, and to better understand the trends that we see in terms of where we can go. But you know, at its core, those are licensing partnerships that we have with the leagues. And so I think going back to the early decision to work with the leagues, and there's plenty of apps out there that have either not done official licensing partnerships with leagues or maybe build an audience first. To us, it really goes back to the gear economy. The gear economy for us, making sure that you are actually owning that authentic Warriors gear or Suns gear as a part of that experience in NBA or 100 Thieves gear or Immortals gear as a part of that experience within LCS, that was super important to us because it validates that feedback. While it's not directly from the team, it is directly with that official team gear that makes me to understand like, okay, I, I am actually doing it. I am becoming that epic fan. And whenever I take this with me, it's very clear that this is the real deal. This is the real stuff. And so, uh, again, I think our league partners have been incredible in terms of working with us and supporting our efforts, uh, but also allowing us to really kind of pave that path that we see um, and then learn from us along the way as well. When is there a, a, I imagine there must be a collaboration with your partners as you look at the calendar and think about the big events coming up, and I'm thinking about the NBA, of course, with the playoffs starting soon and uh, the NBA finals uh, culminating um, that, uh, and also the NBA draft after the season is over. Are your creative teams or your story, uh, you know, I'm curious to, to know how the narrative and the gameplay is being imagined in partnership with the leagues to bring these events to life in the Green Park image, if you know what I mean? No, it's a great question. Uh, so I would say at its core, we are, uh, our team geeks out on NBA and LCS. So what's interesting is, you know, we're building for the casual fan, but we definitely think there will be a place for that hardcore fan. So with the casual fan, it's a much larger audience. It goes back to kind of how we're monetizing it through kind of your mobile gaming uh, mechanics, less so of thinking about how would you monetize a hard fan. 
but going back to the creation of it, like we really know LCS and League of Legends and really know NBA. And so if those, those leagues and those partners have basically said, hey, if you need us, we're here, we're happy to help you as you think about these different events or what you should be focusing on, uh, maybe different trends as we think about some of the gear or animations that we're creating within game. But they are very much looking for us to, to kind of lead that effort. I think with La Liga, we're super fortunate that we have uh, a guy, Brian McLeod, on my team who joined from the MLS, who carries some of that kind of soccer knowledge and opinions of kind of where we're going with our team for what we can do. Um, and I think La Liga is a great example in terms of La Liga and some of the things that we're doing with them. Um, they've said to us, like, make sure that you don't have XYZ in the game, especially as you go to launch in Spain. Um, so certain instances that right. like the word brawl isn't going to be something that we're going to, we're going to use because it means something different in Spain versus a fan brawl in, in the U S or as we launch it is just about getting more points on the board. It isn't necessarily taken as literally. Um, so I think there's some nuances to some of those things that we work with as it relates to big events. I'd say the biggest thing we've been pushed by on the leagues is how do we make this year round engagement? because we can. There's mobile games out there that are year-round engagement. So it's about big events, sure. Things like a draft that might be out of season, and we're talking with the NBA about potentially doing something around Summer League. Um, and when you think about fans and kind of proving that fandom, you can also think about it in kind of a parallel to how you think of the team, which is it's rebuilding, it's recovery. Um, there's a way to basically build those types of things into the game and grow. Uh, but as it relates to the big moments, I think um, we, we know when those moments are, and I think what's great about us is that we can build our own big moments. We can take an ordinary Tuesday and we can find a way to make that a super Tuesday within Green Park. Are there communications tools built in? With regards to the fans being able to talk to each other yeah. and communicate? Mm -hmm. So we currently have what we call blurts, uh, which is essentially like five emojis you can click on and it throws up quick sayings. We actually have a Giphy integration. So I think it's 30, I don't know, the percent of the time, might be 30% of the time that you click on those blurts. It'll actually show a Giphy that you can run around with in our virtual world and uh, share it with other people. Uh, but we are actually finalizing our initial chat functionality. And I think our goal there is let's help to create and foster healthy communication amongst fans. Uh, banter where you're going back to historic um, rivalry, like Celtics fans and Lakers fans can can chat about the game in, in kind of a healthy, but fun back and forth kind of way. Um, so we will need to make sure we avoid things like toxicity um, as part of that and that we're helping to mediate that process. At the same time, conversation as it relates to fans is so important. I think what's interesting for us, and I'll put this out kind of two ways. One is that that conversation will be more about more than just the sport or what's happening in the real world. It'll actually be about the Green Park competition as well because it's not just about being in a space following the game that's actually taking place in the real world, but we also have the scoreboards of what's happening with the fans or we're representing that. So, you know, if the Lakers fans are beating the Warriors fans, we might actually have a column that's being built up taller than the fans and people are around it talking about it, trying to kind of rally their team together uh, to do a little bit more. So there's an additional layer to conversation. And a part of where that comes to life is how we actually celebrate the fans within the game. So we have a jumbotron that we have media that comes in. We actually had a live game for LCS in there last weekend and we're working with other partners on what type of media might make sense to actually bring into that visual space. Uh, easiest way to think about it is you know, 20 avatars sitting in front of a jumbotron and uh, either seeing some of the scores that are coming in and some interstitials that we built in or an LCS example, we actually had the live stream that came into that space. But from a production effort, we actually celebrate the fan on that screen. So if a player just hit a three-pointer and one team took the lead, we're actually going to mirror that by being like, by being able to say, oh, and Tony G for three just won that prediction to go into first place ever in the Green Park sports area and actually putting my avatar animation up on that screen. And so if you compare it to the real world and actually being in the stands, it's kind of like that fan camera. Right? You're taking the camera around and you're seeing people dancing and that's going up on the screen, except we're kind of proving you as the athlete within Green Park. And you could conceivably also 
mimic some of the things that are happening in environments like Fortnite, where you could do, for example, a virtual concert. If in the hours leading up to the NBA draft, there's some concert, I assume they're doing it again. Um, you could conceivably pull that into your world, right? Yeah, no doubt. Um, we've had a number of conversations there as well. I think two ways to look at that would be, one is, is just as we have people, as we have audiences, uh, what, what gets exciting for those audiences? And, and of course, doing something like a virtual concert, um, going back to that space, basically the way our, our watch parties work is each game has its own virtual space that you can go hang out in. And that's where if I went into the Nets and Knicks game, like the Nets and Knicks scores would be on the scoreboard. Um, but those are unlimited instances. And so you could have 500,000 people in one watch party. They all have a maximum capacity of 50 people. And then we're doing matchmaking to figure out how should we put those 50 people together. So for instance, we'll try to put you with your friends first, but going back to the concert, and I think the one I remember is the Travis Scott concert within Fortnite. Um, he's in that concert and running around. All of the instances, so all 500,000 people are actually a part of that experience. So they can go across instances within the game, which is, which is pretty special. But we've had that conversation on the one side. The other side I would say is like, what does fandom mean as it relates to music and entertainment, right? So what does it mean to be a massive fan of one or two artists? And is there competition amongst fans as we think about some of those battles? So we've, we've had conversations um, about the different ways, I guess you could say that music could come to life within the game. We already have a few ways that it is just in thinking about the, the audio experience within Green Park and our dance battle game but taking it to another level with some of the things you mentioned is absolutely uh, what we're considering. All right, before we wrap up with our final two questions, which I warned you about, um, I have to ask you to paint a, a, a brief picture of what Green Park Sports might look like three years from now, if all goes well. <laughs> um, so I'll probably get a little too detailed from a from like an ops perspective, when you open up the app and, and you think about that experience, three years from now, it should be localized. You should be looking at the sports that are relevant to either your territory, uh, the rights that we have in that territory. I think where it can also go there is you're, you're looking at the things that are most relevant to you, where we make everything accessible for you to be able to be a part of. But Tom may have a different map as far as his fandom than Tony does, um, then Roshni, who's on our team, may have a, a totally different map. And so the experiences are the same when you're in similar places, but kind of your area of the park, so to speak, in kind of a personalized manner could look much different from mine. And so there's kind of that build it uh, mentality to where we could go um, that I think could very well be it. The other thing I would say three years from now, my hope is that we're global. Uh, we have plans to be near global by the end of next year, um, which is pretty aggressive, but working with some properties where that would make a lot of sense to do that with. Uh, and then I would say from a league partnerships or even sports aspect, uh, you know, I think we want to be, we want to have the amount of sports to always be relevant. We don't want people to come into Green Park and say, oh, they don't have what I want. I'm going to go elsewhere. And so a part of that is about the experience and a part of that is about the properties. And so I think getting more properties on board in the right cadence uh, where if you are in the U.S., for example, being where we launched, that there's nothing glaringly missing as you think about all of the major sports um, that are a part of that experience, uh, that that's what you want to jump into. And I think, you know, the other piece of it that's super interesting um, in terms of where it could be for us are other elements that we could tap into and how those are really a part of the experience. So we think about what we're doing as an AR experience, except we're building it over live data and time, even though it's not necessarily walking around with your phone in a Pokemon Go type experience. Mm -hmm. uh, but we very, may very well uh, work in um, your GPS, real GPS location, um, and think about kind of where you're going and how you can earn as a part of that experience. So there's a lot of kind of gamified ways that we could tweak it uh, that aren't necessarily in that roadmap today. Yeah, and I guess you've got to be thinking about what will inevitably be more widespread adoption of VR. We don't have to get into that because we don't have the time right now. But um, I, I think one of the interesting um, aspects of this for your 
ops and engineering team or, or all your strategists, including yourself, is as the technology foundations below a shift with more moves to, into immersive technologies like VR, even or blockchain uh, commerce, et cetera, you got to figure out how to build a whole new metaverse for, for the original conception of Green Park, Park Sports and then keep up with the inevitable changes that are hitting yeah. everybody what, what in the media. What I would say for that is um, kind of two parts. One would be, I had a very different answer for you before our holiday party, which was in VR and it was in our game. Um, so actually our game is built in Unity and the Unity asset could be dropped into VR. And so we essentially had our holiday party this year for cheaper than we could ever have had it if we had to actually bring everybody out to LA and, and do it. And we had it in the game. Uh, and when people were in that game and you look around, you realize that even though the entire Green Park experience might not be something that's scalable to VR, that there's going to be experiences within Green Park that absolutely cater to VR and, you know, we have to make a part of that experience. So I would say it's, um, it's more real than, you know, and one of the great things about working with unity at game engine and, and there are other engines that do it similarly, but unity has been great and flexible for us is that we can go on to the other media platforms rather right. quickly. Exactly. It's, it's not as big a, a jump as it is for many other media businesses right now. Tony, we know the app is out already in early access release, but I'm curious about the marketing plans you have in mind for when you're going to actually launch officially. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned early access, I guess a little bit of background as far as where things stand there for us. Um, we started early access in January with LCS, and then we added MBA into the experience in February. So right now, those are the two leagues. As mentioned, we're launching La Liga later this year. Our marketing strategy has been um, pretty minimal so far. I mean, we're trying to get early access testers in. We have around 7,000 signups right now. Uh, our daily active users float between 250, 500 people in the app that are giving us feedback. And that's been super helpful. Uh, but again, the majority of that has been driven through PR, a little bit of mobile advertising, just getting in those initial user bases and then uh, we also have some promotions running in LCS streams. Um, so we have some QR codes that run to get people to download the app on the weekends when LCS was, was playing, uh, although they're now in a break um, before they come back for summer split. Uh, that go forward strategy in terms of how we're bringing users in, there's a, a number of different ways, but like I break it down into two and it's, and it's most simple. I mean, we are we're building a mobile game that is heavily social. And so with regards to how we model the company, we look at it more similar to mobile games that lose, let's say, 70% of users every month and have to go back and reacquire those users and make sure that they're acquiring users that are more valuable than the amount that they need to spend to bring them back into the app. Uh, and we do have a pretty strong plan to do just that multi-channel approach, whether it's working through Facebook, Instagram, uh, other mobile gaming advertising platforms that, that we can use. But then we're also looking at working a lot with creators. So I would say the start is really kind of those two areas. And from a creator aspect, it's thinking about the communities of sports fans that we can tap into and give them something that they haven't necessarily had before. So we have a great story um, of uh, our, our early, early access, which was last summer um, with LCS, where we found somebody who ran an LCS podcast and had about 200 listeners and found our platform, was super excited about it. Uh, was able to bring in 40 of his listeners onto the platform to check out that experience. So really kind of going deep as you think about like Reddit, subreddits, um, how we might work through um, Discord and, and other channels like that to really tap into those really passionate, even smaller bases. I guess the other area just worth mentioning would be streaming or co-streaming partners. I think the co-play experience with Green Park to kind of walk through how you're setting your picks, how you're showing them to other people, um, how you're jumping into the social space with maybe something that you earned from a prior pick. Uh, there's just a lot that we can do there and bringing in people who have large streaming audiences to really share with them a new experience that's a hybrid of, of esports and sports uh, and kind of a passion point uh, for many is, is one of the areas that we're also looking at. So do you have a CMO on board yet? So we have a head of publishing. Um, so on the gaming side, he came from Riot North America, um, and he's been fantastic, built a really strong team, 
our head of growth uh, worked at Fox Next and did their user acquisition for Marvel Strike Force, so another licensed product, really strong background there. Um, so I think you know, bringing in people who have done this before, who have done a really good, good job uh, previously, both as kind of an overall brand and then digging in, um, that's essentially the two of the many positions on the marketing side of the business. Okay, so let's move over from the cost side to the profit side of the business. Tell us about your monetization strategy for Green Park. Yeah, so a few different ways that uh, Green Park hopes uh, or plans to, to make money. Uh, obviously, something that is necessary for us to be successful. Um, but I think something that, as you think about a mobile game, is a lot different than how you might think about something more social, where you're just building an audience and kind of planning to monetize it later, which is what we saw with Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. Um, so for us, uh, in-app purchases, and, and specifically on the cosmetic side, so we want to make sure that you're not paying to win within Green Park, but you're paying to express yourself uh, is one of the ways that we make money. Um, so we're projecting that to be a major revenue stream. And, and that really goes back to a lot of the rights that we're, we're working on or kind of co-creating with the leagues. Uh, with the NBA, we have over 400 digital items within the game that are a part of kind of that game loop of what you can earn or be rewarded or purchase. Um, so really kind of finding the right points to get in front of a Lakers fan or a Rockets fan with that epic gear set that they may want to earn uh, is, is super important for us. So there's some combination of what you can earn in the game and then that kind of getting you to that purchase point. Uh, advertising, so we're planning to have reward videos in an early experience, which is all opt-in, so no interstitials that'll block your experience. And we're actually currently running a pilot program with Mountain Dew uh, for a direct sale opportunity, which basically they came in and, and brought to life their three-point contest uh, within Green Park Sports. So whether it's a prediction that's related to three points, whether it's in our Greeny Rush mini game where we ask some three-point questions from prior nights, we've really kind of brought the Mountain Dew green into that experience in a way that's not, uh, again, it doesn't really block that that viewer experience or kind of that fan experience, but it's really kind of additive to what they're doing. Those are the main areas initially. Mm -hmm. Other areas that we hope to capitalize on, um, once you get into Green Park, you'll realize that that experience and even our character is really kind of super unique. Uh, so hopefully valuable as people kind of understand what Green Park looks and feels like, what it means to be a greenie or super fan within Green Park. Um, things like what we can do with even fan scores uh, in terms of a distribution mechanic or uh, what we can do with our avatars and things like replays on screens or uh, maybe someday even a Green Park related movie uh, with our characters in it. Tony, we know the world of, of blockchain and crypto has infiltrated the gaming space in different ways. And one of the ideas is the tokenization of certain assets in order to build authenticity on the blockchain ownership, et cetera. Could you talk about how that might apply ultimately as you guys think about your blockchain strategy on Green Park? Yeah, certainly. Um, so I'll start out with kind of a, a big thought, but one that both myself and, and our CEO definitely believe, which is you know, if you look forward five, 10 years from now, and you think about two different games that you can play, one game that's typically how other mobile games or even AAA games have uh, been experienced versus actually having true ownership of items. Um, so in the former, it's kind of an unlimited economy where Tom has to earn every digital item or digital good that Tony has to earn. And there's no tradeability necessarily between the two and, and no true ownership. Um, in thinking about the opportunity to play one of those two experiences where one, you're able to earn things uh, that then, or buy things that can increase in their value or you can trade down the line. Um, you know, we feel like that's the game most people are gonna choose to play. Um, right now, the technology isn't quite there for, let's say a game like Fortnite at a scale of the number of digital goods that they would have and essentially what that economy would look like to be easily flipped over into a business that could be run on blockchain and where all of those items are NFTs. Uh, but we definitely see a path to gaming going there. And so our goal is to really kind of set ourselves up for uh, making the right steps to be in a place where we could take advantage of that if it's an opportunity. So right now, um, we are in discussions with our partners and also just thinking about what we can do within our own game to allow digital goods to be tokenized, not necessarily all of them, but even just a subset initially, right? So 
we have our founders gear. And so one of the things that we're looking at is, is that something where it makes sense as we come out of early access to be tokenizing or to maybe for a future date, allow you to own. Um, so it provides value to those users who were a part of that, that platform early, um, makes them want to get in and be a part of it. And, uh, you know, again, I think it really kind of goes down to that opportunity as time goes on to really create a world that acts very similar to the real world, where if you bought a t-shirt that you could resell that t-shirt if you wanted to, you could maybe even help to create a part of that, that t-shirt. Um, and things might happen that make t-shirt more valuable. Uh, but there, it's also um, going to be an increasingly regulated space. I think we need to be somewhat careful. So we're really kind of looking at the ecosystem and thinking about our best way in. Uh, but in short, we're looking at the right partners to be able to really kind of enter in in the right way. I think what you won't see us do is look at it as a money grab in terms of a way that we could go out and we could have an auction of digital items and, and try to tip the scale in that way. It's more about our longer term strategy and how we can provide uh, really more value to our fans. Tony, you mentioned the idea of bringing utility to NFTs in, in this gaming space. Can you expound on that? Yeah, absolutely. So for us, whether it's our own NFTs or outside NFTs and thinking about how we could integrate, um, within Green Park, as you earn these digital items, they become more than a 3D rendering or an image that you can claim ownership to. So actually giving you a place where you can wear those sneakers that you are showing true ownership of that are maybe one of 500 uh, or maybe have a piece of digital art that shows a moment of something that happened in sports but happened in Green Park, but it's actually hanging in a 3D environment where you can show it off and you can share it with other people. Uh, that's one of the things that we think will differentiate us in this space. Uh, and the same way we're looking at it with our own items, we're also looking at how we could integrate third-party items as well. So thinking about, again, like your fan cave and all of the things that you may have, similar to how you have records behind you, uh, how somebody might have pennants or uh, a glove maybe that they used to wear if they were a baseball fan. You know, for us, there's digital collectibles are things that we want to be able to allow you to bring into our space if you have ownership of them. So there's a few projects out there. Decentraland is one of them that are solely focused on, on this. But for us, we look at it through the landscape of a collector. Um, so what would fans have in that 3D environment, whether it's something that we create and mint or something that they're choosing to bring inside our walls. Uh, awesome, Tony. Well, thank you for all that about Green Park. Let's, let's uh, get to the final two, because I know we've got only a few more minutes to go. Um, and I gave you fair warning. So we'll start off with the first one about staying smart and keeping up. What, what kind of stuff are you following? Who are you, who are you listening to? What are you reading? Um, how do you stay on top of all the things you need to know for your day-to-day -day job with Green Park? Yeah, so I, I think I mentioned to you in our pre-call, I said, I don't, I don't read much anymore, or I don't know that I ever read a ton, but when I think about what I do for work, I, I read more than I know. It's just coming from different places. And I think uh, one of the main places where I get lost in articles is LinkedIn. Um, I pay a lot of attention to LinkedIn. I'm probably as clicky with LinkedIn as next generation is with Instagram. Uh, I often find myself not realizing, but I'm just reading another article that I found on LinkedIn from a, a connection of a connection of a connection. And I would say that's helped me to come across a lot of relevant information. Um, that second pretty close channel is just articles that my boss and I are sharing back and forth. Uh, and I'm doing the same with my team. And I would say just seeing relevant things, seeing keeping up to date. We have the same things going on in a lot of our Slack channels and just being able to jump in and, and read and learn about a lot of that. And I would say the third thing is always trying to make sure that I am jumping into something that isn't, isn't necessarily on my radar for a reason. So if like, if something catches my eye and it may not, may have nothing to do with gaming, it, it, it's just something that I realize a friend of mine is interested in trying to go deeper into that. But I would say the vast majority of it to me are articles and uh, on the podcast side, it's from time to time that I really jump into it. One of the ones, other than the cusp, of course, uh, that I jump into, I did, I listened to the Zeminar uh, one earlier today. Um, That's pretty remarkable. But uh, how I built this is one that I've really loved, especially when I already know about the stories. Um, so with Guy Raz, I think, and I don't know him or anything like that, but I think for me, being able to say, well, how did Riot Games get started? 
I have an hour and a half where I can now go and actually understand the genesis of League of Legends um, or even an apparel company that I never really thought to care about their story. Uh, and now I understand kind of the relevancy of that and, and drawing parallels to what we're trying to do. All right. I know you got to drop for a call in about 90 seconds, apparently. So um, can you offer we can some go good... On, we can go another 90. <laughs> okay, good. Um, can you offer some career advice, particularly to younger people who are thinking about starting their careers or perhaps uh, transitioning like you did from the, the equity uh, research space into sports um, or, or similar situations? Yeah, my most obvious one, and I think it's easier for me than it is for, for most people, is like, I really enjoy staying connected with people. And I never quite understood why. There's never a ton of motivation behind it. But I think for me, even in just like friend groups that are easily lost, like I'm the one who will throw a random text message in there just to see if we can like keep everybody interested. Um, I know what you mean. You know, some, of my, some of my college golf team members who I think I threw an Instagram. I just still spend some time on Instagram, uh, a golf Instagram meme too earlier um, to, to stay connected on that. And, and it was how I came across Green Park as well. I would also say, don't be afraid to reach out to people, especially people that have said that they will help you. I have so many friends who are like, yeah, I don't want to bother that person. I don't know that it's worth reaching out. If somebody said that they're, they're willing to help, it's because they truly are. Now they want to see effort on your side as far as helping to get to that next step. Um, but that's the other piece. And, and then I would offer something that I, I even still struggle with, which is when you're making those asks or you're thinking about that next step in your career, I'm often asked, like, how can I help? Just that simple question. And it's really hard to answer when you're looking for an opportunity because in certain instances, you feel a little helpless as you're looking for that next opportunity. Um, but really what it comes down to is just being more and more targeted with each conversation to get to that next step. Um, and I think you know, the, the last thing I would say is going back to what I said earlier, I work for a mobile gaming company now. I don't think out of college, uh, I would ever have said like, I'm going to go work for a mobile gaming startup. Um, but kind of the steps taken along the way, you, you learn things and, and you're often learning more than you realize. And I think being able to take that with you, uh, is always something that's helpful. So the job that you have today isn't necessarily the job that you want for the rest of your life but it's helping you to continue to, to kind of build that background. And, and I think for me, I, I still have dreams of starting my own company and this is hopefully gonna help me with that as well. Um, and our, our team's fine with that because there's nothing wrong with being here for a growth and a learning experience. Yeah, I mean, you're working for three uh, successful entrepreneurs uh, who are leading, leading the charts and I, I know what you mean, but that's really good advice. And I think, you know, you just, I just pick up on one point you made about recognizing opportunity when it presents itself to, to you. Sometimes it comes as a really obvious thing and sometimes it's not so obvious, but part of the challenge I believe is to uh, think about that. And so for example, in the case of Green Park, if you think about that quote we started with, how we're at this confluence of circumstances with the market opportunity, the tectonic shifts in fan behavior, really good uh, team of entrepreneurs leading the uh, business. Um, you saw that opportunity and you jumped on it. And now you're in, at the center of the storm of what's, what's happening in the reinvention of media and, and, uh, and sports uh, engage, fan engagement. So good for you. Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky. And I think it's also, it's, it's a moment in time that both myself and the team feel really opportunistic to be a part of this, um, but also just like what's out there and what's next, because I go back to five years ago, I wasn't thinking about mobile games being the necessary thing for sports. I actually, I remember having a conversation with an executive when I was at the PGA tour, who said like, what's the opportunity that's sitting out there? And I was like, in between bites, I said, I think the leagues need to be working together more. Uh, and in a weird way, that's kind of what we're doing. It's just totally packaged differently than maybe I would have thought previously. Um, yeah. So. All right. So I, I appreciate it, Tom. This has been incredible. Oh, no, our, our pleasure. We really appreciate the time. We know you're very busy. And I just want to remind everybody that the app, the Green Park Sports app is available in the two stores. So please check it out. Um, it, Tony, I don't know if, you, if you'd want people to reach out if they want to share any feedback on it or whatever, if you're taking any feedback. But if so, uh, I can uh, we can deal with that in the show notes. Um, but on behalf of Columbia, and Columbia Business School. Um, 
and which is where we first met, by the way, when you were there going back a ways. Yeah. Um, on the really, steps. Yeah. On the steps. Exactly. Um, really appreciate you taking the time. We've been having a fascinating conversation with Tony Grillo, who's the VP of BizDev for Green Park Sports. And I urge everybody to check it out. If for no other reason than to start coming to grips with this changing world of sports engagement experiences, because as Joe and I have been saying, and many of our guests have been saying, the change is coming. You can, you can sense it now. I think actually, um, Tony, almost more so than ever before in our, our respective involvements in, in the business, it feels like something is afoot right now and it's quite meaningful. So to be involved with it, it must be quite exciting. So good luck with it. Um, Thank we you. We'll see you hopefully back on the steps this fall. Uh, coffee's on me or lunch even. <laughs> Perfect. So, I look forward thanks. to it. I think it was Joe's. Joe's is the coffee shop around yes, there. That's There's right. Well, they have the, I think they have the Columbia franchise or had it pre-pandemic at least. Uh, anyway, yeah. um, Tony, good luck with everything. And uh, Taylor behind the scenes, thank you very much for producing as always. We really appreciate it. Joe, we missed you. But the good news is this is a recorded podcast. So you'll get to hear the whole conversation with Tony. Um, thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you next time on the Custom Show.